So you're an attorney and you've decided to go out on your own. Now what? You need a plan and you're not alone. Join expert host Adriana Linares and her distinguished guests on New Solo. Tune into the lively conversation as they share insights and information about how to successfully run your law firm here on Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to New Solo on Legal Talk Network. This is Adriana Linares coming to you from Winter Park, Florida today. I'm a legal technology trainer and consultant, but one of my very favorite things to do is be the host here on New Solo. Before we introduce today's topic, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Solo Practice University. Make sure to check them out, especially if you are a new solo, Solo Practice University. On our last episode, we covered office operations, sort of the nuts and bolts of technology and hardware that you would want to consider when starting your practice. We did that with Sam Glover, and that was a lot of fun. On today's episode, we are very happy to have Ted Wagoner here to discuss with us uh, fee setting and rates and give us some good ideas about where to get started when you're a new solo as far as doing those things. Hey, Ted. How are you today, Adriana? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you took the time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us for a few minutes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you practice, what you practice, your your favorite things to do when you're not practicing. We'd love to know a little bit more about you. Oh, okay. Well, I practice in a small town in northern Indiana. It's a rural practice. Got a lot of farmers in the neighborhood, a little bit of manufacturing, and uh, just a lot of nice folks. County of about 20,000 people. Um about an hour away from uh, Notre Dame and uh, a couple hours away from Indianapolis. So uh, we're out here a little bit in the sticks. Well, I bet it's pretty nice out there in the sticks. I've been up there in that area, and I've always thought it was a pretty nice place to call home, it seems. It is. We get four seasons a year, which I know a lot of people in uh, Florida and other places don't get quite so much. And um, It's a, been a beautiful, uh, beautiful couple of weeks here recently, so... Uh, we're looking forward to the fall coming. Right. I call that the F word. So you people up north enjoy fall. Uh, the Floridians down here, like I like to call myself, are really looking forward to summer. <laughs> and I, I'll probably get down there for a week in the middle of the winter just to get away from some of the worst of it up here. Right. Well, I don't blame you. Well, one of the reasons we asked you here is because you have been known to give presentations and to help attorneys in figuring out how to set their fees and how go how to go about getting started with that. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things. I mean, I know as a small business owner, even 10 years later and having my business, I'm still trying to figure out sometimes how to charge an hourly rate or what to charge for an hourly rate, when to go flat fee, which is best, which is you know, should I have both available to me? So I guess the first question I'm going to ask you is, is there an average, is there a, a normal number that you start with, with when you're setting your fees? Where would I even begin to decide what would be my, my basic hourly fee as a solo and, a, and maybe even a new solo? Well, I think it depends on your location. If you're in uh, a large city, your uh, solo hourly fee is probably going to be higher than it is in a more rural area. Um, a lot of people basically start out with the highest number that they can conceivably imagine anybody wanting to pay. Now, 40 years ago when I started, you know, that was $45 an hour. Um, it, it's obviously quite a bit higher now on the few occasions that I do an hourly fee, but um, 
you know, it's uh, setting that first fee is tough. I've been doing it for over 35 years now, and it's almost as tough today to uh, do the value pricing and to have the conversation with the client. Um, it's it is easier because I'm much more practiced at it, but it's still difficult because we're talking about uh, what are ultimately large sums of money that a client has to uh, has to provide. Well, right. So, so my question would be, if I was a new solo in let's let's go with a, a second tier city. Let's not discuss at this moment big cities. Like I don't want to try to figure out what I would charge in New York or San Francisco or even Miami. But what if I was in Orlando or Austin or Nashville? Do I look around and see what other attorneys in my area are charging? Or do you think you just kind of know what a good rate would be? Oh, I don't think anybody knows what a good rate would be because lawyers uh, don't understand good rates. What a good rate for me as a lawyer is enough to pay myself, pay my staff, pay my rent. uh, And it has nothing to do with what I'm providing to the client. The best way to set a fee is to have a conversation with your client about what is their case worth to them. So, for instance, if somebody's sitting in jail uh, and they want to get out, their case is more valuable to them than if somebody's looking at a small claims case that if they lose might cost them $1,000. Uh, it depends on the point of view of the client in determining what the value is. So what the lawyer really needs to do is to spend some time and, you know, if your client's sitting in jail, that gets to be pretty hard to do. Right. (laughs) That guy wants out. Yeah, that's right. He does. And when he wants out, you know, you hope that he's got a girlfriend or a wife or a, a parent who wants to get him out as bad as he wants out. So and in a case we'll come like in and make that conversation. So in a case like that, I'm probably not going to charge an hourly rate. Would you say that at that point it's better to charge a flat fee and say this is what it's going to cost you to, to you know to, to solve this problem? That's the best way to do it at that point. Um, you, you establish a fee based on what you as a, as the professional and for the new solo that's a little bit harder, but you know, figure up what all can be involved. What's my investment going to be? What is the client going to pay? Are they willing to pay what I have to have? Again, you're the seller of the service. You want to cover all of your all of your uh, expenses and make a profit. If you're new and don't have a whole lot of experience, you may make some mistakes along the way, but you have to stop every time at the end of every case and say, was I right? Was I wrong? Was I too low? Was my mm-hmm. fee still within the... Uh, realm of reasonable under Rule 1.5 of the Rules of Professional Conduct, and then uh, be ready for the next time the question comes up. So really, in order to calculate that flat rate, you need to know a lot about your business, which is, what are my costs? What is, uh, how how long is this going to take me to solve this problem? So even though I might be considering a flat rate, you're still going to somehow have an hourly rate that you're basing that flat rate upon. Right? You shouldn't in the end. Yeah, as a new fellow, you're going to think about that. And okay. uh, you know, if, if it's going to take you three months to try it, it's going to take every day of all three months. Obviously, you need to, to have enough money to, to cover all those hours, yes. Right. So you've got to definitely do some business and know your math. What is 
the absolute most horrifying bottom dollar rate you would ever want to hear come out of an attorney's mouth. So here's what I mean by that. In my world of consulting, we know pretty much what the hourly rate should start at. And I remember a few years ago when I was charging a specific rate, one of my friends, and it's a funny thing about this world too, is we're all competitors, but we're actually all very good friends. This is such a big industry that if we don't help each other, you know, a bunch of lawyers go unserved by consulting and training services. So one of my friends, who's also a competitor, said, found out what my hourly rate was. I was talking to her, getting some advice. And she said, oh my gosh, Adriana, you can't do that. You've got to charge more. And I thought, I do? That's really scary. How do I charge more? And she said, no, you have to charge more because you're going to undercut the rest of us and it's not going to look good. You've got to, at a minimum, charge $150 an hour. said, okay, well, good. That, that helps me a lot. So when you move about the country in the legal world and you know you know what an average rate is for an attorney. I know too that if you're at a big firm in New York City, you could be charging $975 an hour. If you're at a small firm down in McCook, Nebraska, maybe you're charging $175 an hour. Again, depending on the work and like you said, depending on where you're located. So what's the absolute bottom dollar rate that you wouldn't want to hear an attorney was charging for anything? Is there such a number? Oh, well, sure. Um, you know, the $125, $150 an hour rate that, that I hear per, fairly regularly, that's the one when I argue with lawyers, look, you've got too much invested to be giving your product away. You know, they are buying professional skills, and, and, and you don't value it enough, and that's when we talk about the attitude issues. Oh. You've got to value what you provide. You spent three years of your life you spent, you know, tens of thousands or even hundreds, sometimes over $100,000 to get that education, and you're giving it away, and you're dragging down the market because there is some competitive pressure. And so, you know, and I still hear people in the $125, $150 market in, uh, in the rural areas, um, and I, I even hear people in Indianapolis, I've argued with lawyers with 30 years of experience that they, well, I can't charge more than $150 an hour. And, you know, you shake your head and you talk to them as much as you can about being fair to yourself, fair to your clients, and uh, getting a fair return on the investment you put into into your practice. Right. Well, I think that's great. So so at a, at a rock bottom, that would be the number that we would want to move upward from. Well, that's pretty helpful, I think. Okay, and then higher than that, depending, again, on what you're doing, what services you're providing in the area that you're in. So talk to me a little bit and what experience you have. So talk to me then a little bit about how do I just not even begin my practice as doing hourly rates? Let's say I'm a new solo and I think, you know what? I keep hearing all about these flat fees and and project-based billing, and that's the way I want to do it because that's the future. I've heard that's the future. That's the way I want to do it. How do I figure out what those flat fees are? Do I have a chart that this is what this costs, this is what this costs, and then sort of mix and match? Or is there a specific formula that I should use? Well, I think first thing you do is you, you determine why you want to do flat fees and what you are providing with the flat fees. And then you do some studying. Uh, there are three different people that I have... Uh, studied over the years to get on top of the 
on top of the idea of how do I properly bill. Uh, David Maester, who used to be the uh, dean of the Harvard Business School, uh, he does great work. He's uh, retiring now, but he's, he does great work, and you can read uh, a variety of blogs that he's posted, a lot of uh, Harvard Business Review articles. He will uh, help you understand what you're doing. There's another guy uh, by the name of Alan Weiss, who's written books called Value-Based Fees. He's a consultant. He's not a lawyer. And he frankly talks more about what you're talking about, but the smart lawyer can make the transition and the application. And then the third one, and probably the one I spend most of my time reading, is a guy by the name of Ron Baker. Ron's a CPA. He's written a number of books, uh, Pricing on Purpose. He's got a, a podcast these days uh, called The Soul of Enterprise that he and the Another guy by the name of Ed Kless, a couple, couple of accountants, uh, walk through and talk uh, about what you have to do to prepare. And all of it is getting yourself prepared. It's not, you know, do you charge $1,000 for a divorce? Do you charge $3,500 for a divorce? Mm-hmm. I've been in those arguments with people on both sides. And the answer is there is no particular price except the two the price that the client wants to pay and is willing to pay, and the lawyer's acceptance of that price on the other side. So if if tomorrow morning I have a client walk in and say, here's the facts about my estate plan, and I want to spend $2,000 building an estate plan, I may say yes, or I may say no, and it's because that's what I have to do for that client. Tomorrow right, afternoon, good. I may have a different client walk in, right. and they may want to do an estate plan, and they may say, you know, I want to do it for $5,000, and I say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do it. It's too, it's too big a job. It's too valuable a job. The result of this is going to save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, or it's going to have an impact on keeping your children from fighting. You tell me they're likely to fight, and I'm going to tell you how we can avoid that fight. But it's worth more than that to you, and it's worth more than that to me, because I don't want to step in for $5,000 and then be there if the kids decide they're going to fight. That's just not what we're going to do. So you look at the client, and you price the case for the client. Well, that's very good advice. And I like the three resources you gave us to do that research on. I think that's really smart and good advice, other than just poking around in your local community, also looking toward those experts who, as you seem to seem to believe, are nationally renowned experts in those areas. So that's very good advice. Um, the reason I don't talk to the other experts in town is they've done less thinking about it than I have. Mm-hmm. They've never read any of these experts. And what most of them have done is they've walked into town, they've asked an older attorney, how much can I get away with charging? The older attorney always gives them a lowball figure because he's <laughs> going to send the clients he doesn't want to have over to them because, you know, they're the neighbor kid that can't afford it. And then the lawyer is going to spend their career adding $5 or $10 to an hourly fee every three or four years and sweat every time they do it. It's, it's a difficult decision to make. And so, you know, I can be in a meeting with 200 lawyers and there might be two of us or three of us who've actually studied how do you get from where too many lawyers are 
to where good lawyers ought to be. Mm, That's great. Well, before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, Solo Practice University. Ready to create and build your own solo or small firm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360 degree experience of starting a business? There is only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals. Solo Practice University, the only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than 1,000 classes, 58 faculty and mentors, What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today. Welcome back to New Solo. I'm Adriana Linares, and with me today is Ted Wagner. Before we left off, Ted had rattled off a couple of great suggestions for some some side reading and research to do. I've got another question for you, Ted. In the first segment, you mentioned attitude as part of figuring out how to set my rates. Tell me a little bit more about your philosophy in that area. Well, lawyers are obviously professional people, a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, and we're lousy business people. Uh, Two issues about attitude is, one, too many lawyers and oftentimes judges, frankly, I learned this lesson from a judge, um, when I went in and asked for some fees, and he said, well, I would never want to pay those kind of fees. Hmm. And the answer wasn't, you know, okay, judge, pay me what you want to pay me. The answer is, judge, this is the value of what I did, and it's worth more than you are thinking it is. We are sellers, and we have to approach things as a seller, which means uh, two things. Number one, we have to make a living at it. And number two, if you'll recall your Economics 101, the seller increases the price to the point at which the buyer no longer wants to pay. And so... If I can sell you my services for $500 an hour, but you'll pay 650 then I'm a lousy lawyer if I'm not charging you 625 630 645 if you'll pay 650 Because you have valued what I'm providing you at 650 an hour. That means that you're going to make money off of, in a business relationship, you're going to make money off of my providing you services at six fifty an hour because there's value added to you either uh, financially or emotionally or uh, in a family dynamic situation or however you're in this relationship with a lawyer. There's more value to you or you wouldn't say, yeah, I can pay six fifty an hour. If I charge you five hundred, then I'm sorting myself. If I try and charge you eight hundred and you're a smart client, you're going to turn and walk away, and you're going to say, I can afford 650 but I can't afford 800 And so, you know, my purpose is to push as close to your walk-away dollar, because then I can take care of myself, I can take care of my staff, I can make charitable contributions to my community of a larger sum than what I can if I'm only charging you 500 So is educating my client on what they're going to be getting really like, you know, explaining where the value is, an important part of making that arrangement with them? That's why you want to sit down with your client. It's critical that you don't 
just dive right in and talk about here's the facts of the case. Uh, you know, you've gotten yourself sued because you've you, you built your neighbors, you, you built a fence along what you thought was the line with your neighbor. Now your neighbor's mad at you and they filed a lawsuit. You don't just dive into those facts because you also have to expand it into the relationship between the two neighbors, what predates it. You know, are you, you know, are you going to take this to the wall? Are you going to mm-hmm. uh, declare a year of jubilee and walk away and forget <laughs> it? How are you going to handle that? And and there have been times I've recommended you know either one of those. Sometimes you take it to the wall. Sometimes you say, hey, uh, neighbor, you know we've been friends for ten years. We're not going to destroy our friendship over this. Let's settle this up pretty quick. But if you price your services thinking you're going to get it settled pretty quick and you enter into a contract says, I'll take care of your case with you, and then all of a sudden you're off to the Court of Appeals, you're going to lose your shirt. Right. And so you've got to know how to do that. And that seems like one of the hardest things to try and engage. I mean, you're really always trying to foretell, foretell the future when you're an attorney doing work like that. You're, you're trying to say or trying to figure out, well, here's, here's the problem. In the best case scenario, this is as fast as I can solve it. This is what it's going to cost. But of course, you never know. What do you do if, if that does happen? And let's say you did charge a flat fee and it became something a little bigger, a little scarier, a little uglier. Do you go back to the client and say, listen, I'm going to have to charge you some more. It, 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 became, it, it grew an extra head that I wasn't expecting, and, and now it's just going to take a little more work. Is it okay to do that? It depends on the conversation you have with your client. What I like to do is I like to scope out the case and so we can scope it out by who the parties are, what the court's going to do, or what the time is. And so, and I've done this with different clients for different things. Using a, a simple example, uh, we're talking about our fence case. If we get this thing settled in the next uh, you know, four months, which seems like an eternity to the people, but lawyers know that you know that's not very long at all. If we get it settled in the next uh, four months, it's going to cost X number of dollars. Mm-hmm. If we can't get it settled, if the lawsuit is filed over this problem, and we have to go to court, then then the scope has changed. We're now in court, and we we have to follow all the rules of court, and that's a bigger a bigger basket of goods I'm going to be providing you. And it's going to cost you more. Uh, if somebody brings a different party in, if, you know, if, if we have to sue the the surveyor because he he drew the line, and we all thought we were putting it on the line, but you know, but we didn't. So the surveyor is getting sued. That's a change in the scope. So if you define the scope in your conversations with your client, then you can go back and say the scope has changed. And we need to make a change order. Mm, a change because, order. A change order. And I don't think attorneys of, have, have heard too much about change orders. That's a novel idea. Ted, tell us more. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did some construction law as a young lawyer. And I would have contractors walk in and say, you know, I, uh, I, I built a room on the house, and then they had me add a restroom on the side. And, of course, restrooms are far more expensive than, than a straight room. And they don't want to pay me. 
you know, they said, I signed a contract to pay you for, for this project, and you're done, and here's your money. But I added a restroom, and I said, well, show me your contract, because at the bottom it always says, uh, you know, when we make a change, there will be a change order signed by the contractor and the customer, and that will be an addendum to the contract. And those builders would say, oh, I never do that. And I said, well, your contract says you will. Since you didn't, you're going to get cheated. And they got cheated mm-hmm. because the customer knew that. And after going through that four or five times, I said to myself, why don't lawyers do that? Why don't they yeah. do that? And the reason we don't do it is because we don't think of it. Well, I we think, think that's... for our other customers. Of course, we that's so funny. For ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah you, you guys all think, and gals... You guys all think, you know, you're doing something so different, but you're really not that different from other professional services who do things exactly like you've said. There's a change order. There's a bulleted list of what's expected. There's um, a conversation that gets had very straightforwardly. So I guess part of the takeaway from this is really establishing a good communications relationship with your client where you understand their expectations. You've told them yours, you've made a list of, you know, the scope of work for, to use a not so legal word, but a very normal word in every other business relationship, scope of work. This is what, you know, this is what I can do for this amount of money. And if it gets any bigger, we're going to have to have another discussion and communicate about what it's going to take to keep moving the ball forward. Exactly. And most people, lawyers oftentimes when they get to the conversation about fees, go from being a partner with their client to being an adversary to their client. And that's part of the attitude. We, we get defensive about our fees. You know, we know that our fees are expensive. We know the clients think they're expensive and think they're more expensive than they have to be. But what we want to do is we want to say, look, I'm trying to structure this so that it makes the most sense for both of us. If we can't get there, will walk away. And when you do flat fees, you've got to pay attention to your numbers because if everybody accepts your flat fee, you're undercharging. Mm-hmm. You've got to get about a 20% failure rate because people say, that's more than I can handle. Because if you don't have 20%, you're undercharging yourself, your market, um, and what clients, frankly, ought to pay. Because right. 20% of the people are going to turn you down no matter what you do. You have that in your business, I'm sure. Somebody will call and say, Adriana, will you talk to us? And you'll say, yes, I'll talk to you for so many dollars. And they say, well, that doesn't fit my budget. That's right. And, you know. When do you say yes and when do you say no? It really is such a tricky thing to figure out. But it is also a really good learning experience. And that's the gauge. You know, when when that happens to you, that's the gauge where you figure out, okay, I've either got to go higher, I've got to go lower, I've got to change something. So I guess part of understanding how to get your fees right is not winning or getting every single client that walks in the door. And the ones that walk away don't feel bad about it. Just figure out how to make good use of that experience and that information. And occasionally those clients that walk away, they'll be back. I've had several occasions where I'll put together a package and say, here's the package, you know, this is what it's going to take. And either they've called other lawyers and have come back in a relatively short period of time, and I've even had people come back four or five years later and said, I couldn't handle it at that time. Right. But things 
things have turned around, and now I can I can choose you. You know, I want somebody who's a Hall of Fame lawyer. I want somebody who's um, you know set up to to be the be the lawyer for my firm that does it the right way. And it just took me a little while to learn the lesson so that I could do that. Well, and I appreciate you taking the time to take all those lessons that you've learned and share it with our listeners. It looks like we've reached the end of our program. I'd like to invite Ted to tell us where he can be followed via Twitter or Facebook or any other place where people are looking just to keep an eye on what you're doing and saying, Ted, how can they do that? Well, uh, I'm at Ted Wagoner. I'm not a big Twitter user, but uh, uh, we do have a, a Facebook page, Peterson uh, Wagoner, uh, com is our website. Great. And uh, uh, Ted A. Wagoner uh on Facebook, you know, facebook.com slash Ted A. Wagner, uh, and that's W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R. Our office, um, Indiana has new advertising rules, and anytime I do advertising, this is not advertising, but anytime I do advertising, I do have to tell you my office address, which is 125 East 10th Street in Rochester, Indiana, and this appears 46975. If you go on uh, the internet and look for Indiana lawyer Ted Wagner, I'm usually it will be pulled up uh, through, through Google or anything else. Well, very Put the Indiana good. in there, that'll drag me in. There's a Ted Wagoner up in uh, uh, another town, but he's, he's a musician. So <laughs> if, you great, if you hear great music, that's not me. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And for all the listeners who like more information about what you've heard today, please visit New Solo at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Don't forget, you can also follow us on iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much, Ted. really appreciate your time. I'm Adriana Linares, and thank you for listening. Join us next time for another great episode. And remember, you're not alone. You're new solo. Thanks for listening to New Solo with host Adriana Linares. Tune in again to learn more about how to successfully run your new practice. Solo, here on Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.